Well, verse number 12 of Colossians chapter number one. If you're there, say amen. All right, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pews. If there's not one there, look on the person next to you. Steal their Bible if you have to. Just do it in Jesus' name, amen. It says, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us from the kingdom or into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body and the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sakes which is the church whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations is now made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here's the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his workings, which worketh in me mightily. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. What a wonderful service we've had thus far. Well, I'm thankful, Lord, to go to a church the Lord has, that has not quit rejoicing over the fact we get to go to heaven. Lord, we're so undeserving. God, we're so... Uh, God, wretched, Lord, we're, we're, we're so great a sinner. God, that none of us deserve that. God, none of us earned that. God, none of us had enough good works to make our way there. But Lord, we're so thankful this morning we could not. Lord, you came to where we were. God, you died for our sins. You paid the price on the cross of Calvary. God, you rose again the third day. Lord, you conquered death, hell, and the grave all by yourself. And Lord, you've extended salvation unto every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. We thank you, Lord, this morning for the free gift that is great and that is what we call salvation. We ask you, Lord, this morning, if there's anybody here, Lord, they don't know what it's like to be saved by the grace of God. Lord, they have never by faith, Lord, done what the Bible commands and teaches us to do concerning salvation. And I ask you, Lord, this morning, would you work on their hearts? God, would you draw them unto yourself this morning? We ask you, Lord, as well, for those of us, Lord, who have been saved, God, we enjoy the blessings of salvation Father, we may, may we never get over all that you've done for us. And Lord, may it ring so true in our hearts and so great in our minds, God, that all we can do is tell other people what Jesus has done for us. We ask you, Lord, this morning, you just move in the midst of us. 
Help us, Lord, to honor you and glory your name this morning. Take your word and God apply it to our lives today. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Colossians chapter number one is the epistle that Paul writes to the church at Colossae. But as we are gonna go through it this morning, there's been a thought on my mind and we're in missions month and I've enjoyed it. And to be honest with you, the things that I enjoy reading outside of my Bible are typically either uh, biographies of pastors and preachers or Christian servants or missionaries. If you want to get encouragement, if you want to be convicted, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be all those things at the same time, I'd encourage you to find a good missionary's biography and just read behind all that they went through. But we live in a generation, we live in a time where we're always, always trying to find the greatest. What's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's the goat? Who's the best? Who is the top of the line? Who is, who is the greatest of all time? And I want to ask you a question this morning. Who do you think the greatest missionary is. Now notice this morning, maybe some people have already said it this morning, but we're going to go by process of elimination. Some might say it's William Carey. Well, preacher, who is that? They call him the, moder- the, the father of modern missions. He left England to go to India and he started a, a great church there and a great work there that's still going on today. And men like Adam Judson and Hudson Taylor, they were encouraged and inspired by this man named William Carey to go to a foreign field. Some may say Jim Elliott. To me, he was one of the best-known missionaries that I'd ever knew in my life. His story is all over the place. He's the one that went to that tribe of uh, cannibal people and he actually died at their hands, was eaten by them, and his wife come back and begin to win them to the Lord. Some would say Paul. I mean, his missionary journeys aren't just recorded in the words of Scripture But if you turn to the back of your Bible this morning to your maps, they're mapped out in the word of God. You can follow Paul's missionary journeys there through uh, Israel and there through the Middle East and how God used him. And we'd say, well, it could be Paul, it could be those men, it could be somebody else, it could be Amy Carmichael, all those kind of things. But if you ask me this morning, I'd agree with those who've already said it. The greatest missionary ever known to this world, ever known to man, was the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. The greatest missionary ever known. You said, preacher, you can't say that. That's a children's church answer. You ever, if you ever teach children's church, when they don't know the answer, Jesus is their answer. Be like, what's the, what's the weather outside today? I don't know, preacher, Jesus. <laughs> What'd you learn about in Sunday school? Jesus. <laughs> what are you gonna do after church today? Jesus. <laughs> like, that don't even make sense, but that's their answer. Boy, that's a good statement, though. If you don't know the answer, just turn to Jesus, Amen. He's, he is the answer, praise the Lord for that this morning. But it's not a children's church answer because when you think about it, the most basic elements of what we would consider and call a missionary, you say, well, preacher, what is a missionary? It's one who leaves where they are to go somewhere else to bring truth, to bring grace, to bring the gospel to somewhere where it hasn't already been or hasn't been in a long time. They leave where they are to go somewhere else. John 1.14, we quoted it Wednesday night. We talked about it Wednesday night. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm glad this morning that Jesus left heaven to put on the flesh of mortal man. But he didn't come just to walk around. He didn't come just to get a better insight and perspective on his creation. He didn't come around because he didn't come down because he had nothing else better to do, but he came full of grace and full of truth. Oh, he came with truth. He came and he, he called out sin and he called out the wrongdoings. He called out the religious uh, ideology of the day and all of that kind of stuff. He came with truth, but thanks be to God, he came with grace. And so this morning, we're gonna see how and 
reveal from the word of God this morning how Jesus was the greatest missionary this world's ever known. How do you know, preacher? He did the work of a missionary. Well, preacher, what is the work of a missionary? I, I buried him somewhere back here in the pulpit this morning. It has gone into the twilight zone of the shelves of the pulpit this morning. I got all those prayer cards for those missionaries. And you ask, what does a missionary do? They evangelize, they train, and they build churches. They evangelize, they train, and they build churches. I believe every person can put their faith in the Lord Jesus by evaluating and putting their trust in the work that Christ did while he was on earth. Notice number one this morning, he came to evangelize. He came to evangelize. Evangelize is a big word. Evangelize is a word that we hear thrown around here and there. And matter of fact, I, I looked it up on Google this morning as I was getting my notes together. And I said, well, I wonder what Google has to say about the word evangelism. Now, if you have uh, Google and you ever have, you have a, uh, an Android phone or you have Android Auto in your car, if you say, hey, Google, that little lady will come through that thing and she'll say, how can I help you? My kids think it's the greatest thing ever. They ask, they ask, I don't know what her name is. They ask Google, Miss Google, whatever her name is. They ask her a lot of questions. They ask her a lot of things that, that I think, how were you even thinking about that? What's your favorite day of the year, Google? What's your favorite number? Google, do you like jokes? To the point where I'm like, listen, you're about to cause a wreck with all what you're asking and you're trying your best to let Google hear you. Well, here's what I found interesting. We were riding down the road the other day and Rayla said, hey, Google. She said, how can I help you? She said, what's your favorite Bible verse? Google said, I don't know what you're saying. She said, what is your favorite Bible verse? She said, I cannot answer that. <laughs> and so when I looked the word evangelism up, in Google, I wasn't, my, my, my hopes weren't high. And here's what they said. Here's what Google says evangelism is. It is to seek to convert someone to Christianity, to convert them to your belief system, how you believe and how you do what you do. Can I say this morning as if they, they say what a Christian is to do, what Christianity in the whole is, it is just trying to convert somebody from their way of thinking to your way of thinking. Can I say this morning, Christ didn't come to change people's way of thinking. Christ didn't come just to lay out some rules and regulations on how to live your life. He came to save them. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. As well. He came to redeem him. Can I say this morning, it was prophesied that he would evangelize. It was prophesied that he would come this morning. Isaiah seven fourteen. therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You've got to realize this morning for hundreds and thousands of years, Israel waited for a redeemer. Israel was waiting for the one that was promised back in the Garden of Eden to come and to redeem them out of this world and to redeem them out of the taskmaster of the Roman government, to redeem them out of Egypt and to do all of that this morning. They waited and they waited and they waited. A young lady was born and she didn't conceive. A young lady was born and she didn't conceive. And they waited and waited and then one night in Bethlehem, he came to the womb of a virgin this morning. And he was here. He showed up. In a little stable in Bethlehem, the greatest missionary ever known was born to a little virgin girl named Mary. One night, everything changed. When he left where he was and came to where we are, he was born 
and walked on this planet and walked on earth and walked in the, the land of the Bible this morning, did those great miracles. Matthew one twenty one, when he came, they knew, Mary and Joseph knew who he was. The Bible said, and she shall bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus. And here's why he came. For he shall save his people from their sins. It was told that he would come and it was told what he would do when he came. We see the prophecy that he fulfilled this morning. But notice the proclamation that he made, Luke 19, 10. There's another little children's church man, little Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Now as the Savior passed that day, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down from going to your house for lunch today or however you sing that song. I remember meeting a man, he sang it in the King James English, and it was, it was interesting. <laughs> I said, I don't think that's what he said. <laughs> but notice this morning, in Luke 19, 10, Jesus clarifies everything that he's come for by making a proclamation. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. We know that Christ performed miracles while he was here. He did things that were physically impossible. He walked on water. He stood at the tomb of Lazarus who had been dead for four days and said, get up and be loosed. And he came up and he was alive. He looked at the man who couldn't walk and said, take up your bed and walk. And he did. He looked at the blind man and said, I know you can't see, but at my command, your eyes will be open." And at his command, his eyes opened up. He took a man who couldn't hear and he allowed him to hear. He took a man who couldn't talk and he made him talk. He did all the, he took, he took five loaves and two fish and fed over 5,000 men plus the women and the children. He did these great miracles, but he did them so they would be established that he wasn't just another man. He wasn't just somebody else, that he was the very son of God. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And can I say this morning, he did those things with ease and without strain. We were at Good News Club and was telling the story of the marriage supper at Canaan. How... In a moment's time, in a, in a millisecond, I don't know how long it took, Jesus literally changed water into wine. With no struggle, with no strain. And some of the miracles upset a few people. There were some that said, how dare he absolutely improve somebody's life on the Sabbath day? How dare he give a man who's never seen the ability to see on the Sabbath? Don't he know it's the Sabbath? Let me ask you this morning, if you have a heart attack right now, aren't you glad that on a Sunday morning if you have a heart attack, the hospital's open, amen? You can go there, you can get help, you can get, you can get that situation taken care of. But I'm thankful this morning, Jesus said there's something greater than the day of the week, there's something greater than the hour of the day, it is my ability to improve somebody's life. We see here this morning, he healed the man on the Sabbath, they got upset about it. The miracles upset a few people. But can I say this morning, his preaching upset a whole lot more people. They were fine with him doing the miraculous because really it, it, it took a burden off them they couldn't fix. See, the Pharisees were religious men. They, they knew the word of God. They, they had religious activities. They, they did all of those things they were supposed to do and well, they couldn't help blind people. They couldn't stand at the tomb of a dead man and say, come up, arise. And so when Jesus was doing the miracles, it took a burden off them they couldn't do. But then Jesus started saying this, not only are you physically healed, but your sins are forgiven also. 
Think about that lady that was called, called an adultery. And he said, look up. Where are thine accusers? She said, I don't see anybody, Lord. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. <laughs> and when Jesus started declaring and conquering and defeating sin and, and telling people their sins were paid for, their sins were forgiven, the Pharisees had all they could take because there's only one that can do that. There's only one that had enough power. There's only one that had the right to look at somebody and say, thy sins are forgiven. And the only one that can do that is God himself. And they said, how dare this man? Oh, well, well listen, he can feed 5,000. He can walk on water. He can heal blinded eyes, make lame people walk. He can do all that. But how dare he forgive somebody? He said, can I say this one? that had it completely backwards. I'm so glad this one, the one that came, really could look at your sin and my sin and say all of it from the beginning to the end is for." Forgiven this morning. Prophecy fulfilled, the proclamation he made. People got upset with his preaching more than his miraculous power when he said things like this Thy sins be forgiven thee. Luke 7 48, he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. John 8 11, she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. You got to realize this morning when Jesus forgave these people's sin. He was revealing unto them not just miraculous power, but he was revealing unto them, I truly am the Son of God. I truly am the Son. Listen, the Pharisees didn't believe him, but I believe that woman did that day. She said, I can't, I, this isn't in the Bible, but I just can't help to think because I know how it was in my life. Got saved by the grace of God. I couldn't explain everything. I couldn't figure everything. I didn't have all the answers, but I knew something was different. There was a weight, there was a burden, there was a, an anxiety, there was a fear that God had removed out of my life. I knew I was no longer under the condemnation of God. My sins had been forgiven. Notice the prophecy fulfilled. Notice the proclamation he made. Notice number 14, verse number 14 of Colossians chapter number one, the payment he made. The payment he made. Verse number 14, whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Preacher, it's gruesome. Preacher, it's, it makes my stomach unsettled to think about all that Christ went through. Can we just preach it a little bit less bloodly? Can, can we preach it a little bit more family friendly? Can we preach it just a little bit more uh, G-rated, so to speak? Preacher, can I say, if you remove the blood, you remove the forgiveness of sins. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Sin requires a payment, and that was death. And Jesus died and shed his blood to pay for our sins. Notice this this morning, when Jesus said, told these people thy sins were forgiven, he wasn't just saying to make them feel good. He was saying because it was true. Because the blood of Christ, his sacrifice, every person's sin is forgiven. Can I say this morning, Jesus died for every person. That price has already been paid for every person. People don't go to hell because they do bad things. People go to hell because they don't receive the free gift of salvation. It's a hard truth, but it is a truth this morning. It's a truth that's fallen silent in America. We just want everybody to feel good, be, be, be nice, and have everything wonderful, hunky-dory. Can I say this morning, we need the Lord. And I'm thankful that he made the payment for my sin. Look what he said right there in the next chapter over in the book of Colossians, verses 13, in you being dead in your sins. Oh, preacher, I was enjoying it. No, you weren't. You're dead. Preacher, I was having a good time. 
Preacher, I was having, I, was, I mean, everything was fine. Everything was wonderful. I, whether it was a party, whether it was my flesh, whether it was my own satisfaction, preacher, I was doing what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it, when I wanted. Nobody was going to tell me nothing. And then one day it all stopped. Why? That's what sin does. And you being dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, all trespasses this morning. Preacher, how many of my sins are forgiven? Preacher, what about the sins I haven't committed yet? Preacher, what about the, what about the sins that I'll commit next week if the Lord gives me next week? Preacher, what, they are already forgiven. Preacher, that don't make no sense. What you've got to realize is God is not bound by time. God is not bound by space. God is not bound by the limits that you and I have. Jesus somehow, God somehow in his great strength and his great ability went from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time, scooped up all the sin of every man born in his own body, died on the cross of Calvary, rose again the third day and conquered it all this morning. The payment he made, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which is contrary. <laughs> that word, that phrase blotting out is a wonderful phrase. Preacher, how come he didn't say erase? Well, let me ask you, when you erase something, can you still see traces of it? Oh yeah. You can see where it used to be. You can see what used to be there. And if you just scratch something out, boy, if you see my sermon, I type them up so I can read them. But if you see the, as I'm working through my sermon and getting things together, boy, there's scratch marks everywhere. You can hold it up to the light and you can see what used to be there, even though it's been crossed out. That word blotted out means to take ink and completely cover something. Where you hold up the light, you can't see it. You can't even see what used to be there. You knew that something, but you have no idea what it used to be, because all you see is a big blotted out stain. Well, I'm glad this morning the stain, the, the blood stain of the Redeemer was greater than my stain of sin this morning. <laughs> and when he looks at me, he don't see what I used to be. He looks at the, he sees the blood of Christ this morning. The payment he made, he didn't just tell them their sins were forgiven. He was gonna do what was required for their sins to be forgiven. There's a lot of people you'll meet in life and they talk a big talk they are good at building your expectations. None better than the fast food industry. And I'm not saying that because, <laughs> I'm saying as one who's been in the middle of it. I heard one of my bosses say, if they made it look good enough, well, I'm not gonna say what, they, what he said they would make you buy. But notice this morning, you ever gone through the drive-thru? <laughs> look, I, I've shared this illustration before. You ever gone through the drive-thru Hungry, on the verge of hangry, tired. Because if you had energy, you'd go home and cook, but you just, want, you just want something now. You pull into that drive-thru, and there it is on the billboard, the, the, the drive-thru, the Big Mac. See, Chick-fil-A will actually sell you what they advertise you. <laughs> McDonald's doesn't. But there it is, it's got that secret sauce dripping out of all the right places. That lettuce is crisp. That bun, you can see the steam coming out of it. That cheese is melted at exactly the exact point where it needs to be melted at. And you say, that's what I want. So you pull in line, you wait 45 minutes. Somebody says, what do you want? You say, a Big Mac. Like it's on the billboard. What do you want to drink with that? You tell them. You pull up, you pay your money. That's interesting. They always make you pay before you get it. 
<laughs> you pay your money. I don't know what a Big Mac goes for anymore. Too much. But you pay your money. They hand you, they throw that bag in your car. You open up that box. The bag of that picture. This ain't the same thing. Ain't but three pieces of lettuce on it. Cheese look like somebody took a bite out of it. Throw the brick out there. <laughs> throw the brick. Throw the bun out the window. Breaks the car's window next to you. Here's what you say. If y'all tell, I have a very high opinion of McDonald's. You say this, this is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I desired. Can I say this one? When I came to Christ, he's far more than what I ever expected. He's far greater than what I could ever realize this morning. Yes, my sins are forgiven. And I know that this morning. Oh, but he's so much more than that to me this morning. He truly is the dearest friend that I have. Christ died for you and for your sins. Let me ask you this morning, as humbly and as sincere as I can, why haven't you trusted him yet? Christ died for you. Notice one, he came to evangelize. Notice number two, he came to train. He came to train. Verse 28, Paul says this in Colossians. He says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching, every man in all wisdom, that we may excuse me, present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. We know the Lord had 12 disciples, men that he handpicked, who traveled with him as he was on planet earth. We know the 12 disciples. We, we know their story. And we oftentimes will say, well, what is a disciple, preacher? How do we define that word? We typically say it this way. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. Right? That's how we say it. It's one who follows Jesus. Jesus. Oh, here's what I, I, I would, I'm not trying to be rude this morning, but if all you do is follow, then you're just a follower. Jesus didn't just tell them, he said, follow me, and it stopped right there. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's going to be a training process, a teaching process, a discipleship process. You think about a missionary, yes, they go over to a foreign field, and yes, they present the gospel, but is isn't just to present it and move on and come back home. It is to present it, watch people get saved, and then to train them and to teach them in the things of the Word of God and the truths of the Bible and the, the mechanics of a church and the government of a church and to establish a church there. There's a discipleship process. I think the modern-day American church, we've skipped over this. We've, we've put it to the side somewhere. We, we, we just will preach the gospel. We'll see people get saved. We want a big church. And, we, 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 and somewhere in the middle, we are skipping over discipleship, training believers on what the Word of God has to say. A missionary doesn't reach people himself, but he trains those that get saved to reach others with the gospel themselves. We see the Lord doing this with his disciples. Yes, he comes, and yes, he calls them out, and he, 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 they follow after him. But it's not a silent follow. They're not playing that game we grew up playing where Jesus marching out in front. They're just marching behind him doing whatever he does. He raised his left hand, they raise their left hand. But as they are going through his earthly ministry, they're, they're going from place to place. Gee, yes, they're following after the Lord, but sometimes Jesus stops and he removes himself from the crowd. He removes himself from the Pharisees. He removes himself from all of that. He looks his disciples in the face and begins to teach them. He begins to train them. How does he do it? Well, he gives them instructions. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He, see, he gives them instructions on growing their relationship with the Lord. Luke eleven two, 2, and he said unto them, when you pray, when you pray, our Father, our heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
he gave them instructions on discernment. And he said unto them, this kind come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. He gave them instructions, but he also gave them examples. We've been in the Sunday school with, with the young kids going through the parables that the Lord taught. Man, those, they're so full of truth. They're so full of great imagery and great pictures and great truth this morning. But some of those he spoke to the crowds. Some of those he spoke to the Pharisees. Some of them he spoke to his disciples. Mark chapter number seven. The Bible says when he entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. They said, Lord, could you teach us about that? Lord, could you, you've given us the example, could you explain it to us, please? And the Lord did. And the Lord would. Oh, he came to evangelize. Yes, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. But how many of you are glad this morning he came to teach you and train you as well? To help you grow in the Christian life. To grow by the grace of God. He gave them instructions. He gave them examples. But then he gave them encouragement. To go and be what he desired for them to be. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the world. Mark 16.15, and he said unto them, go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He said, everything that I've taught you, everything I've commanded to you, I didn't teach it so you could hold on to it and feel smart about it and to make yourself a religious super saint or to make yourself better than everybody. He said, I taught you so you could go tell everybody else. And can I say this morning, as God grows you and God takes his word and he teaches you from it, whether it's through the, the reading of it, the study of it, or the preaching of it, when God gives you those truths and he makes those things real to you, it isn't so you can say, well, look how wonderful I am. Look how great of a Christian I am. It is so you can go find somebody and say, here's what God's word says. He gave them encouragement. He gave them examples. He gave them instructions. Let me ask you, are you fine with being a complacent follower or will you be a faithful disciple? It's college football season. Last night, Alabama lost. And I don't feel sorry for them. <laughs> Nebraska lost too. <laughs> but we're, we're just accustomed to that now. We almost, we almost won. We did win the coin toss, amen. <laughs> but my wife showed me something not too long ago. It says, why do men at the age of 12 pick their favorite team and then spend the rest of their life being miserable? I said, now you say that, that's a true statement. But can I say, I enjoy college, I enjoy sports in general. But what I don't like is bandwagon fans. They just show up when everything's going good. There was people last night saying, go Vols, who don't even know where Tennessee is. It bothers me. There was a kid in high school. The New England Patriots had won the Super Bowl the year before, and all of a sudden he became the greatest New England fan. There was. Only, I said, last year you wore Atlanta Falcons stuff, but now you're a Patriots fan. He said, I've always been a Patriots fan. I said, no, you weren't. Said, last year you had Atlanta Falcons stuff on. And I think so many times in the Christian life, we don't realize it, but we become bandwagons. Oh, we'll serve God. Lord, teach me when everything's going good. Lord, teach me when everything's going well. Lord, I grow me as long as everything goes 
well. Paul said, Lord, I want to know you in the fellowship of your suffering. Can I say this more? If we're going to be true disciples, we're going to have to learn at the good times and the bad times as well. Are you, going to, are you fine with being a complacent follower? Or will you be a faithful disciple? Then notice number three this morning. He came to evangelize. He came to train. Number three, he came to build the church. He came to build the church. Look at verse number 17, Colossians chapter number one. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, comma, the church. It's a clarifying statement. The body is the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things he might have the preeminence. Here's the thing this morning. Our body only has one head. It ain't me. It ain't the Sunday school teachers. It ain't a deacon board. It's Christ. Christ is the head of the church this morning. He's, he's the Lord. It's his church this morning. Well, preacher, who put him in charge? He did. <laughs> he did this morning. You can find him if you want to. Hey, he'll let you have your way, but you won't like it. And notice this morning, the church isn't an organization. It's an organism. It's a body. It's to grow. It's to breathe. It's to live. But notice Christ purchased the church with what? His own blood. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, for as much as we know, we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Now, he paid for it. It's his, amen. I'm bought with a price. I'm no longer my own this morning. But notice this, not only is it a purchased church, it's a powerful church. Matthew 16, 18, now we can sit here this morning and we can uh, try our best to, dis, to, to discuss and to debate when the church started. There's multiple places you can go to. There's multiple places I can turn to and say, it started here, it started here, it started here. I'm just glad that he started it, amen? And I'm glad to be part of it this morning. But notice here, we see it's a powerful church. You can't stop it. You can't. I can't stop it this morning. Matthew 6 and 8, he said, it's all, I say unto thee, he's talking to Peter here, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He wasn't saying he was building it on Peter. Because <laughs> Peter was a man. <laughs> Peter was a man. Peter had shortcomings. And a lot of them are recorded in scripture. Peter was just a man. Peter wasn't the first pope. He was a disciple. He was trying to show Peter and try, try to show his, his disciples that he wasn't building it upon a man. He was building it upon a truth. The truth of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, the power of Christ. He said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter and upon this rock. I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've heard that verse so much in my life, and I knew it was right, and I knew it was true. I just didn't know what a gate was. I thought to myself, well, that makes no sense. Because everything I know is a gate is something that you put at the end of a fence, which you unlock to let somebody in or to keep somebody out. It's, it's a gate at the end of a fence, but I found out in Bible times they had those cities that were walled, and there, and, and somewhere in the wall, sometimes multiple places in the wall, there'd be gates. And yes, they were used like we use them today, let people in and let people out. But the people of the greatest prestige and the greatest influence, the greatest power, and the greatest means, they were given a place of preeminence in the city, and it was in the gate. If you wanted to see who was who and who was the greatest, you'd go to the gate of the city to see. And Jesus said, upon this rock, himself, his grace and his forgiveness. He said the best hell has to offer 
can't stop it. The greatest that hell has to offer cannot stop the church this morning. How do you know, preacher? Because we're still here. <laughs> Can I say this morning, the fact that you and I worship in a Bible-believing Baptist church this morning isn't because we have a great growth program. It isn't because somebody uh, just, you know, just uh, came up with a great idea. Down through the centuries and down through the generations, there have been men and women who have stood on the truths of God's word. From generation to generation, they've delivered the faith unto us, and now it is our responsibility to contest for the faith that was delivered unto us. But ultimately, as long as you and I are doing what the word of God says and, and living how God teaches us and tells us to live, the gates of hell shall not prevail again. It doesn't mean the gates of hell will not come against it. It doesn't mean that the Satan himself will send his greatest uh, attack and his greatest influence against you this morning, but it says if I do what God tells me to do, even the best Satan has to offer can't stop me. Can't stop the church this morning. I'm glad to be part of something that's unstoppable as long as we do it God's way. Christ purchased the church, the power of the church. Thankfully, the church has a promise too. We were singing about it earlier. Christ came to this earth, died, returned back to the throne of God, seated at the right hand of the Father. One day he's coming back. One day he's calling us home. One day that which he's built, he'll bring home with him. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, and even as others which have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Most comforting promise that I, I preach this at funerals, most comforting pro promise I have to you as a Christian is that one day we're going to leave this world behind. One day God is going to fulfill that promise. He's going to take us home with him. There's a big difference between establishing something and building something. You can establish something but never build it. I remember Brother Jamie was telling me a story about a man is it in Keysville that built that hospital or was going to build that hospital? And Brother Jamie told me, he said, you can go somewhere. Y'all get with Brother Jamie after the service. He'll fill you in all the details. He said, but the man had a desire to build a, a hospital and he laid out the foundation and all that good stuff. But Jamie said, his body's buried there now. Just an abandoned building, an abandoned foundation, abandoned establishment. There was a desire to establish. There was no building. And I say this morning, I'm glad that Christ didn't just say, hey, I want to build a church. Christ is building the church this morning. He's doing the work that he promised he was going to do. Let me ask this morning, are you part of God's church? And if you are, are you doing what the Lord wants you to do this morning? The greatest missionary this world's ever known was the Lord Jesus Christ. He left where he was to come to where we are so that one day he could take us home with him. He came to evangelize. He came to train. And he came to build the church. And he's doing that. And he did that. And we thank the Lord for it this morning. Let's all